Hello and welcome to the Surviving Miscarriage podcast. This podcast is made for women and also men who have survived one to multiple miscarriages in their lifetime. There are many types of miscarriages. It doesn't matter if it's in your first trimester or your third trimester, and there's many reasons for miscarriages. And I want this to be a place where you can tell your story freely. There's a lot of people out there that are hesitant to share their story. So listening to yours can be absolutely healing to others and healing to yourself. I am your host, Summer Gilbert, and as a multiple miscarriage survivor myself, my inspiration is to hopefully bring awareness to this topic and bring healing to others. So thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. All right. Well, here we are on Surviving Miscarriage podcast. Um, Today, we have the honor of talking to Darcy Benda. Um, Darcy has a pretty heavy story. And uh, my co-host, Christy Watson, is here with me um, to join in. Christy, thank you so much for joining. I appreciate you so much for being supportive and supporting the podcast and being part of this. Oh, Summer and Darcy, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm I'm really looking forward to being a part of this podcast and uh, this episode with Darcy. So Darcy, I know this is really hard for you to talk about and um, I commend your vulnerability. Um, I know you have two stories um, and we're going to start with Maisie, your beautiful Maisie. And so let's start from the beginning. Um, I'm going to give you the floor and um, let, let's tell Maisie's story and then we'll go into Charlotte. Okay. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is just a nice opportunity to um, really dig deep and share the details of what I've been through and how it's kind of shaped me and changed the person that I am, the mom that I am. Um, okay, so we'll start with Maisie. My firstborn um, was my first pregnancy, and um, right around, we had a little bit of um, infertility that we were dealing with, so we saw some specialists and stuff, and then um, after an IUI, we got pregnant with Maisie, and um, right around 20 weeks, um the doctor expressed some concerns because she was measuring so small and he thought maybe we had the due date wrong. Um, but he referred me to a specialist and, um, I went to a specialist and they, you know, took some measurements there and then they wanted to see me back in a few weeks. And, um, you know, they put me on bed rest and there was just some concerns with her she wasn't growing in utero. And so, um, when I went back to the specialist, I thought, well, I've got this, I've been eating, I've been on bed rest. Um, they had me increase my caloric intake by quite a bit. And so I just felt really good about it. But when I went back there, I thought I was just going for, um, another checkup and she sent me over to labor and delivery. And she's basically, basically said, if your baby's not getting the nutrients 
that they need that she needs on the inside, then we can do a better job of feeding her on the outside. So kind of counterintuitive, you would think like, you want to keep the baby in for longer so she can grow and um, but that wasn't the case. And so it was really alarming and scary. And, um, you know, I was still eight weeks from my due date. And so anyway, we went over to labor and delivery. I didn't even have a bag packed or anything. Um, and we did a bunch of tests, stress tests and stuff. And, um, basically they scheduled a C-section because she was so small and fragile that they didn't want to even risk anything happening going through the birth canal. So, Mm -hmm. um, uh, Maisie was born, but she was two and a half pounds and just this tiny, tiny little thing. And they put her on a respirator right away and I didn't get to hold her Um, or even see her they just rushed her up to the NICU so it was really traumatic Um, I guess fortunately though because it was my first I didn't have expectations or any idea of like what was happening or what was going on I just kind of went with it but um, anyways Maisie was rushed up to the NICU and they were able to take her off the respirator and um, actually a lot went well. There are all these things that I learned can happen with preemies. Um, for example, like eye retina detachment and just things, things you, you wouldn't know unless you go through it. And we, I just feel so blessed. Maisie kind of like skated through all of these detrimental things that can happen. Um, But we were in the NICU for 37 days and it was super scary. They had to, um, I think they call it a pick line. They had to put like, um, there was just a bunch of things that happened that were really scary. And it was just this teeny tiny little fragile baby. I mean, the tiniest human I've ever seen in real life. I mean, she could fit into the palm of one of my hands. You know, she was so little. Um, and so it was really, it didn't really hit me until I left the hospital and my baby was still there. So my husband, Billy, and I left the hospital and I just started sobbing because it was like, we were going home without our baby. But, um, to put kind of a wrap on that story, Maisie is flourishing and doing so well and she's just she's very petite but um she's okay but as you can imagine after that birthing experience and her being in the NICU and all these um you know kind of scary things that were in question um after that I was really nervous about any future pregnancies um How much they was sent- Maisie, if you don't mind me interrupting, how much was Maisie when you brought her home? She had to be four pounds to fit into the car seat. Okay. So. Oh, wow. Once we got her um, into the car seat, we were able to take her home. So she was four pounds when we brought her home. Um And so they thought that it was something to do with the placenta. Um, 
or the umbilical cord, both which were sent to a lab for testing. And there was nothing wrong. Everything was healthy and fine. So there was a lot of questions like why, you know, um, it's called IUGR, inner uterine growth restriction. So why, what was the cause of the IUGR? We don't know. Um, so it was just kind of this like unsolved mystery. And so anyway, fast forward a little bit. Um, I can't even remember how old Maisie was, but I was, um, I'm, so I'm moving over now to Charlotte's story. Um, I was, there was one day I was looking in the mirror and I was in my nightgown and I said to my husband, I'm like, I am getting so fat. I look like I'm pregnant. And he's like, you just go to the gym. You, you know, you don't ever have a hard time getting in shape. So just, you know, set your mind to it. You'll be fine anyway. And then fast forward, I was cleaning out my bathroom and I um, found this pregnancy test and it was like a week um, outdated. And I was like, wouldn't that be crazy if I was pregnant? I'm like, I'm just going to take this test. And I took it and I was positive. I was like, what? And so of course I rushed to CVS and got like five more. Yeah. And I brought them home. And instead of being like elated, I just had this like serious dread. I was like, oh my gosh, we just went to a wedding in Cabo where I had drinks. Like, I can't even believe this. I was joking around about looking pregnant. Like I called my husband at work. I was just like, I should be so happy, but I'm so scared. I'm just like petrified. Like, what if it happens again? We almost lost Maisie. Like she almost didn't make it. Like what? (laughs) I'm just so scared. I just had lost a lot of faith in my body's ability to carry a healthy pregnancy. I just, there were so many unanswered questions that I just didn't have a lot of confidence in what the next pregnancy would look like. And so anyway, um, called my doctor right away, made an appointment right away. And I went in to see my doctor and they did an ultrasound and I was already 13 weeks. Wow. So I couldn't believe it. I was just like in shock and, you know, thinking about everything. And I told my doctor, I was like, you know, we had a really big four day weekend in Cabo where I was drinking a lot. And I just, am so nervous. Like, considering what I went through with Maisie, like, I just don't, I'm so, I'm so anxious and nervous and worried. And, you know, he tried to calm my fears a little bit, but it was, it just felt really, it felt wrong. I was like, I should be so happy right now. And I'm just like flooded with fear. So anyway, um, as that pregnancy continued, I started, you know, gaining a little bit of confidence like okay this is a new chapter a new baby like I should just you know have faith in the Lord that he's watching over me and our traumatic experience certainly can't repeat itself like this is going to be fine and so I just really tried to lean heavy on my faith and squash some of that anxiety that just kept popping up and um Everything was going really well. Um, I mean, as I, I've never really had morning sickness, so I, it just everything kind of felt pretty good. And um, I went in for 
the 20 at 20 weeks, you go in for a more extensive ultrasound. And um, I went, I went in for that ultrasound and, and everything looked good. I mean, they check all of the major organs and um, bone structures and everything. I mean, they do a lot of measurements. And so everything looked good. And I was just like, filled with tears, like, oh, gosh, everything's looking good. Because 20 weeks was when things went south with Maisie. So I was just kind of like, trying to, I don't know, rejuvenate my positive spirit about it all. And um, so I felt really good when I left that appointment. And then I was getting ready to go to my 24 week appointment. And um, when I went, my doctor said, well, sorry, let me back up. I um, told my husband, I was like, I just have such a strong feeling that something's wrong. Like, can you please pray for me at three o'clock today when I'm at my appointment? Because I'm just so petrified. I mean, I was just filled with fear all the time. It was just like consuming me. And um, anyway, so I went to this appointment and I said to the doctor, well, he, he explained that they weren't going to do an ultrasound because he's like, you know, last time we did that really extensive ultrasound, so we don't have to do one this time. And I said, well, I'm really full of fear. And I, you know, I'm going on a trip on Saturday to Northern California. And I just, I, I don't know, I, I don't, can we do an ultrasound? And he was like, sure, of course. I don't want you leaving here, you know, with so much worry and concern. And so we went into the ultrasound room and he spent a lot of time with me. We looked at all four chambers of the heart, which was beating perfectly. He showed me there was no cord wrapped around the neck and he's like, okay, so do you feel better? It's like so much better. Thank you. And, um, I couldn't even make it to the elevator after my appointment before I started sobbing, just those tears of relief, you know, like I felt like something was wrong and, just to have everything be okay. I was like, God, you are so good. Like, thank you. I can't believe this. Like, I just need to squash all this fear that I'm having. And, um, you know, so I got in my car, I called my husband. I was like, everything's good. I can't believe it anyway. So that was on a Thursday and, um, I got on a flight and I went up to visit some friends in Northern California and I was at 24 weeks now. And, um, I'll never forget this. I, at the end of my trip, it was the last day that I was there um, visiting a friend in Oakland. And I woke up in bed that morning and I, I was like, I don't even feel pregnant. This is so weird. I don't, I know we just had that great visit with the doctor, but it's so weird. I do not even feel pregnant. And I got on a flight to come home and my mom picked me up from the airport and she just saw the look on my face and she later told me that she could just see, I don't know, my mom has a special um, sense about things, but um, I just told my mom, I'm, I'm, I don't know, I'm just not feeling good. I haven't felt this baby move and I don't know, maybe it's just my fear from what happened with Maisie, like, I don't know. And my mom's like, why don't you just go to the hospital? I'm like, I just want to go home, with, be with my family and have dinner and read Maisie a bedtime story. And I don't know, I just miss them. So I want to go home. So she's like, okay, let's go home. So I went home and I was like, I'll just, 
you know, on my lunch break at work tomorrow, I'll just go to the doctor and see if they can do an ultrasound or something. And then my mom called me later that night and she was like, I just talked to our friend who's a nurse. Um, she, she said, why don't you just go to the ER when you're done, you know, put Maisie to bed and when you're done, go to the ER. So I was like, okay, that's a good idea. So I enjoyed my time with Billy and Maisie and I, um, I didn't even think much of it. I didn't pack a bag or anything. And I just got in the car and drove to the ER. Actually, I called, oh, I can't remember now. Sorry. Um, I think I, yeah, I just drove to the ER and I explained my situation and um, they sent me right up to labor and delivery. And um, so I got into the bed and they were doing a stress test and then um, they, they have those little Dopplers, you know, where they find the heartbeat and the nurse came in, bless her heart, <laughs> she couldn't find the heartbeat and she was really trying and I could see like the stress building and I just, I had this, I don't know, strong mama feeling. I was like, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Your instinct. Yeah. The instinct level was high. And I just, and, um, so then she called in another nurse and they, they both tried to find a heartbeat and they couldn't. And so, um, they don't even have an ultrasound on the labor and delivery floor. So they had to send me down to a different floor and they like put me in a wheelchair and sent me down there. And, um, they did an extensive ultrasound and it's, it's kind of strange. They won't tell you anything because it's like an ultrasound tech that needs to relay all the info to your doctor, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so, or a doctor. And so it wasn't my OBGYN. It was a different doctor, but she came in and she's like, I'm so sorry. There's no heartbeat. Oh. And I just, I was like, I knew it. I knew it. I was I wasn't mad at anyone or anything in particular. I was just like, how baffling is this? That I knew that. I knew something was wrong. I just sensed it a long time ago. And so it just hit me like a wave. And I was just going round and round with emotions, like upset, angry, remorseful like what did I do was it that weekend in Cabo like I just went through all the you know guilty thoughts and you know it must have been something I did I shouldn't have gone on that flight I shouldn't have gone on that trip like it's just so many things um that were unnecessary now that I've had time to you know grieve and assess everything it was I was really hard on myself in those moments but um so my doctor came and talked to me and he's like, we can, um, we, you've got some options. You can go home and wait for your body to naturally go into labor. We can schedule a C-section or you can, um, we can try to induce labor. And we can just get started right now. And I just, I was so in disbelief and shock and I just couldn't even like process what he was saying. Like it, it was like on one hand I knew, I was like, I knew it. I should have just like 
started planning for this when my instincts were so strong. But um, anyways, he explained that if you would like to have children in the future, you probably don't want to have another C-section. I mean, the more times you cut through your uterus and there's more scar tissue and it's harder for implantation and all that. So I was yeah. like, well, I don't want to go home. Like that sounds horrible. And if you're suggesting I don't have a C-section, then I guess I will, you know, induce labor and have this baby. Um, so um, that's what we did. And um, I'm totally drawing a blank on the name of the medication that they use to um, induce labor and help open your cervix. But um, it involved them coming in like every four hours or six hours or something and inserting these tablets, you know, up into the uterus. And, um, it was really surprisingly painful. Um, mm -hmm. every time they did that, I was like, geez, this is, <laughs> if that hurts, like the, maybe this whole birthing experience is going to be excruciating. But, um, anyway, um, so we went through this process and it took about Oh gosh, I don't know, almost 24 hours um, for my cervix to start opening up enough. And um, we were getting really, really close. Like my cervix was starting to open up and um, they came in to do another round of this medicine where they would put it inside me. And it really hurt this time. And I I said, like, it was just a nurse. And I said, why is this hurting so much? And she kind of paused and she said, oh, oh. And she called another nurse over and she said, is that, is that a cord? Oh, she's like, okay, we have a leg. And so somehow with all this pushing and stuff that they were doing with their hands, um, the baby had, they had like shifted the baby to be feet down. I mean, the baby was head down. Um, when we started after that ultrasound confirming no heartbeat. And so somehow with all, I mean, obviously the baby wasn't moving. So what they had been doing had moved the baby and, um, the feet started coming out, her feet started to stick out. And so, um, they explained this is why we would never, this is why, we, this is when we would go into an emergency C-section if your baby was alive. Um, but since we're not in that situation, then we can go ahead and continue with delivery. So I went into like all the normal things that you see in movies, like sitting up and pushing and like, you know, squeezing the hand of my husband and all the things. And, um, basically her entire body came out and her head was stuck. <laughs> Sorry, this is so graphic and it's like, uh, gonna make me cry. I didn't think I was gonna cry. But anyway, she basically got stuck. And so there was another doctor there, not my typical OBGYN, but um, they just kept calling him, calling him. When is he gonna be here? When is Stadler gonna be here? And like literally when he finally came in the door, they kind of were cheering. They're like, he's going to know what to do. So 
just to put it frankly, like there was a long period of time where I was in this really uncomfortable position with Charlotte's body out and her head was stuck. And so Dr. Souther had to come in and he used some different, I don't know, like four step tools. And, um, he had to break her jaw to get her out. And did they so, give you any kind of epidural, Darcy, or any kind of pain medication while you were going through this? Okay. They did. Yeah. Yeah. They did for sure. Um, I did ask for an epidural. I was like, I don't know what to expect. I don't know if the, she was so small. I didn't know if I would need it, but I said, you know, I'm so heartbroken that I'll take it, you know? Yeah. yeah. So when they finally got her out, she, was so beautiful and perfect <laughs> but her little jaw was broken and it's just hard to see her that way because I felt like I did that to her um but you know it was it was such a blessing to be able to hold her and they give you as much time as you want you know you can spend a lot of time with your baby and we did it was Halloween. Yeah. It was Halloween when this happened. Halloween day was the day she was born. And um, it was just, I, I don't know, I got so much out of just examining her perfect little hands and her perfect little toes. And um, she was just beautiful. And I felt bad about her job, but the nurses like crafted this little cap you know how they have those little beanies that they give you in the hospital where they crafted this little cap where it like came under her jaw and they tied it in a bow so it would keep her jaw you know up yeah and she was so pretty and perfect it was just it was overwhelming I was like wow I can't believe this perfect little child has gone to heaven wow <laughs> um so anyway I spent probably close to 24 hours with her. And what was, what was interesting was I, um, I went from being so devastated and just like not even able to stop the tears to kind of like switching over to being so in awe with this beautiful baby that I was like, I know I was doing a lot of praying and I think somehow the Lord let me some grace to get through it. But I started to feel like so proud of this little baby. And I was like, wow, now we have this beautiful angel in heaven. Like she's probably looking down on us right now. And um, right about that time when I was getting closer to switching from complete sorrow to like amazement and awe, and I was like not crying as much anymore. Um, in walks my little Maisie in a little bunny costume because it was Halloween and all the nurses were just applauding her. And we, we put Charlotte up um, in this little baby bed so that Maisie wouldn't see her. And Maisie was so young. She didn't quite put two and two together or ask a lot of questions at that time. So it was perfect. Like I wouldn't have known how to answer them necessarily, but Oh man, it brought so much joy to see Maisie 
walk through there and it reminded me of all those days in the NICU with her and how close we were to losing her. I mean, she, it just full circle perspective on how precious life is. And mm-hmm. I, I knew that Charlotte's lifeless body was sitting right there. And then here was Maisie, you know, tropsing around in her bunny costume. And it was just kind of surreal. It was, it was a time that, um, you know, obviously I'll never forget. It was so heavy, heartfelt, you know? Um, and my husband then took Maisie home and I got to spend some more time with Charlotte and, you know, I talked to her a lot and I just, I took a bunch of pictures. They came in and took, um, an imprint of her foot on like this cute little heart, um, I guess, ornament. We, we put it on our tree now every year, but there was just a lot of things that started to happen. And then they came in and um, started talking to me about logistics. Well, sorry, let me back up. There was definitely a certain point where her skin started to change color. And I just got this overwhelming feeling like out of respect for her, mm-hmm. I think it's time to say goodbye. Like as much as I want to keep holding her and like rubbing her little feet, you know, she was very cold at this point. And I just decided like, this is, this is the time to say goodbye. And oh so, my God. yeah, it was, it was really hard. I said a prayer with her and I thanked her for being our guardian angel. I, was like I can't believe our family has our own guardian angel like what a beautiful blessing you are and so it it had definitely shifted into a more positive perspective in my mind but obviously still really hard um and when they actually took her away you know I went back to sobbing and stuff but um then they came in and wanted to talk about logistics and I just felt so frustrated and angry that I was like, no, I don't want to talk about this right now. And they were like, you know, you, you've got to make funeral arrangements. And I was like, what? Like, if I, cause they were like, well, technically this is a stillbirth. And so we've got a, you know, we've got a death certificate and, these things we need to talk about and I I was like well what if if this was a miscarriage like what's the difference and they basically educated me right then if you're 20 weeks or more it's considered a stillbirth and in those circumstances you have to make funeral arrangements or you know cremation or whatever you decide to do but you have to there is a death certificate and it's just a little bit different in the way that it's handled and so yeah I was Marcy, just, yeah I have a question um yeah when when they came straight in to talk about the logistics did the hospital provide anybody to help ease the transition like a grievance counselor or anything yes and in fact I'm sure I'm sure it wasn't as harsh of a transition as I'm describing it I just remember like finally getting to kind of a positive place somewhat. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. I, I just, I, w- I was not expecting that. I didn't realize that that was going to 
there were going to be all these details, funeral arrangements and things that I was going to have to handle. I, I guess in my mind, I was thinking it was like a miscarriage in the sense that that was my final moment. I said, goodbye, like yeah. I'm moving on now. And so then when they came back in with more, I was like, no, but I, you know, they asked, I think what my faith was and I was raised Catholic and I'm now, you know, attending a Christian church. And so they brought in people that prayed with me. So they were, they were very considerate of, you know, my spirituality and how I was feeling. I I'm probably describing it way more harsh. They were wonderful. I mean, I was, I was at mission hospital and they were wonderful. I mean, they are so loving and caring the nurses. uh, Yeah. So I should give them more credit because they were, they were wonderful, but um, I do understand what you're saying though. I mean, it's just this shock and wave of questions that you're just totally not expecting. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, if I can share this information with someone right now that, you know, it's just, it's just something that you, you would never think about. You wouldn't anticipate that, you know, or, yeah, I had no idea. I had no clue what, what was ahead, but anyway, they, um, they were very kind and sweet and, um, gentle about it, but they did need to get some things, get some questions answered, I guess you could say. And, and I just wasn't prepared and I felt very frustrated and, and upset about it. And, um, I said, kind of regret this now, but I said, do we have to do this? I don't, I don't want to have a funeral. I don't want it. And they said, yes, you do. And so I started to like, think about, okay, you know, this is what's ahead of us. So, um, anyway, they gave me the option to go home that night or stay till the next day. And I was ready to go home. And, um, so I did, and it was a brutal couple days. Uh, Maisie started to ask a few questions and there was just this big, you know, lingering question of like, how are we going to tell everyone? I was like, I kind of just want to do a Facebook post because I don't want to have to tell the story. Like, a hundred times. I don't know. I don't know what the right thing to do is. Is that too insensitive to put it on social media? Like, I don't know. Um, but in that time I had to call the funeral home and, you know, they, they asked me like, who are you calling about? And I had to say my daughter and I just lost it. Like there's just moments, you know, you go through these waves of emotion and, it, it all seems kind of like a dream almost. It's just ah, so heavy, but um, we decided we wanted her to be cremated and we went to the funeral home, I guess you would call it, and picked out an urn and we didn't want to scatter her ashes. We wanted to bury them. Um, and so then we had a proper funeral for her, but um there were a lot of silver linings and this was the first one when we went to the funeral home and to the, um, the grave, the graveyard, the grave site, the cemetery. Sorry. I couldn't remember the word. Um, I learned that my 
dad wants to be cremated and that my mom doesn't. I learned that my parents want to pick out a plot together and they did so. So because of baby Charlotte, like now when that awful time comes that I lose my parents, I already have like some of these things like underway, I guess you could say. It's just, yeah, it's so hard to think about those things and talk about those things when everybody's healthy and fine. Um, but because of baby Charlotte, we had those conversations and it was like not stressful, you know, and not heart-wrenching for my parents. It was just, we were talking about baby Charlotte and, you know, we had some of those conversations. So anyway, um, we went and picked out her spot and we had her cremated and we had a proper funeral. And I just posted a couple pictures of that funeral on Facebook. And it was a really nice way to just let everyone know. And um, I don't know, I feel like the outpour of love and support and just so many people reached out without saying too much. They just sent flowers, sent meals, showed up, you know, to give me a hug. It was, it was really what I needed. It was really important to have that support. It reminded me that like, this is life, you know, there's big wins and big losses. And this is one of those big dips, big valleys. And so I had to really work on my positive frame of mind. That was like every morning I would not feel like getting out of bed. I was definitely going through depression. Like I, all the things, you know, like my milk was coming in. It was super painful. Um, I just was like, they had, I was having those phantom kicks. I don't know if you've ever heard about that, but like, I still looked like I was pregnant and I would wake up in the morning and like, was that a dream? <laughs> it was so gnarly. So it was a really, really rough, like next month or two. Um, I had a mops group, mother of preschoolers at my church. That was super helpful. Those ladies like lifted me up and um, I had a bunch of friends from work and just neighbors and people that stopped by with, just a hug or flowers or whatever. And I can't tell you how much that meant to me. Um, so yeah, that was, that was the end of um, my Charlotte story, I guess. So there, there's a lot of time that was spent after that where I really grieved hard. It comes in waves. It's really, um, I don't know, grief is a weird, funny thing, but. Um, Especially with your hormones coming down. Yeah. Sometimes you can't control it. Yeah, exactly. No, it was, it was, it was intense and um, kind of a whirlwind. And I, um, a lot of those days I just stayed in bed and <laughs> I don't know. Um but it was um, an experience 
that one goes through that really made me stronger. I mean, I had people reminding me how strong I was in those times. And I was like, no, I'm not. You should see me sob every night. You know, like I didn't feel strong, but it's been five years. We just celebrated her fifth birthday and it's kind of fun. We have a a family tradition now. Every Halloween, we go to the cemetery in costume and we sing her happy birthday and we bring her little treats and presents and it's kind of creepy, but kind of cool. You know, it's um, just something that we do and we all say a prayer together and the girls ask really hard questions. Like, can we take an airplane to heaven and see her? Like, do we have to wait till we die to see her? Do you think she's holding Henry cat up there? (laughs) They have so many (laughs) cute questions and um, you know, Maisie had a lot of questions and um, Marley's only three and she's starting to have a lot of questions, but they all, we have this little bear that has wings. And when Maisie was really young, um, my friend Brandy gave me this bear and we just designated it Charlotte bear. It's like a little angel bear. And so the girls sleep with this bear every night. They take turns. They just love on this bear and they tell their friends at school, like, well, we have another sister, but she's in heaven. (laughs) They're just really comfortable talking about it. And, um, when people say, oh, you guys have three girls. No, they always say, no, we have four. (laughs) So it's really sweet that they've, um, totally accepted and, you know, done their best to understand. And they say, why did God call her home so early? She didn't even get to live her life. And I said, well, God has a plan for her, you know, and how cool is it that we have our own guardian angel, everything you do in life and everywhere you go, you're going to have your sister up there watching over you and make sure you're okay. And so it, we've really incorporated it in a positive way. And, um, you know, it's, as hard as it was, um, we've made it something good, you know, <laughs> yeah, as best we can. And, um, gosh, you know, as sad and heartbroken and depressed that I was, I can't believe how quickly I got pregnant again with a rainbow baby, um, which is Marley, but, um, man, that pregnancy was brutal because I got my own Doppler that I was using at home. Yeah. I drove myself to the ER a dozen times. I mean, I was so full of fear and, um, you know, it's, there's so much that's out of your control and you can, you know, be guilt stricken and question everything that, you know, going back to Charlotte, I was so sure that it was something I did. And when, so we, after Charlotte, we, it's not covered by insurance, but we wanted answers. I mean, we had Maisie and we didn't know why she suffered from IUGR and then losing Charlotte. We were like, we're not getting pregnant again until we get some answers, you know? So it's not covered by insurance, but we spent the money for an expensive autopsy for Charlotte and, um, the autopsy doctor called me and he's like, 
I don't enjoy having these, you know, outcomes, but, um, there was nothing wrong with your baby girl, all of her tissues and organs and everything were completely healthy. So I'm writing on her death certificate, no known cause of death. Oh. I, I have no idea what happened. Cause that was the biggest thing is, you know, you always ask why, when things go wrong in your life, you're like, why, why? And that was just heavy in itself, you know, to not have any answers. And, um, I told him right then I said, gosh, I, I'm really struggling. I am so certain that it has something to do with the alcohol consumption that I had on this big weekend. We went to Cabo, um, or maybe me getting on a flight, going into altitude. Like I even had some sushi, like it has to be something that I did. And maybe if I tell you everything now, then you can kind of like figure out what caused it. He, he said, you need to stop right now. There's nothing that you did. Yeah. Let it go. And he said, please, I I know what you're going through. He's like, my wife and I lost a baby and you're clinging on to guilt to try and find a reason. Just let it go. Your baby was perfectly healthy. And so that was huge for me. That was really huge. I, I actually did let a lot of it go. I said, you know, coming from a doctor, thank you. Like, thank you for telling me that. And thank you for taking the time to chat with me so that I could get that out, you know? So I was, I, I think it's natural to blame yourself. Like I, I was kind of like body shaming in the sense that I was like, my body's no good. Like I can't even carry a pregnancy. Like this is, you know, I, I don't know if I want to even try for another child because this isn't working. Yeah. I know the feeling. It was, you had your rainbow baby and I just can't imagine the anxiety that went into Marley. Yeah, it was, it was, Yeah, it was something that I would like to share with people is don't be afraid to like ask for the extra appointment, ask for the extra ultrasound, ask for a specialist to be involved, like be super proactive, you know, it's your health, your body, your baby, your family. Um, Because when I got pregnant with Marley, um, my rainbow baby, I, my doctor referred me to a specialist and it was the same specialist that saw me when Maisie stopped growing in utero. And I was kind of thinking like, why wouldn't you send me to the specialist with Charlotte? Like after I almost lost my firstborn, you know, and I already saw this specialist, then why with my next pregnancy, wouldn't I be on like high watch? Cause there were no answers. There were no, nothing to explain what happened. And so, um, with Marley, I went and saw the specialist right away. And every Wednesday I saw, I had an ultrasound with the specialist and every Friday I had an ultrasound with my OBGYN. And so it was much more 
I mean, they were really keeping tabs on me and watching over every little detail of that pregnancy. And I would say the difference, um, this is something interesting too. I just information to share. Um, so there's these blood clotting factors, um, MTHFR, I think it's the acronyms. Um, so they tested me for all of those and I was negative. However, my husband's on his father's side, his grandmother died of, of a blood clot. And so there's a possibility that there could be blood clotting issues on my husband's side. But um, they explained to me that a lot of women who have miscarriages or multiple miscarriages have this blood clotting factor and they don't even know it. I think there's, it's like higher than 50% of women have this wow. and they don't and they don't know it. And so the specialist and my OBGYN said, we don't really know um, if this is what you need, but it's worked for a lot of women who have suffered through miscarriage. And um, so we're going to try it. And it's basically a daily dose of blood thinner that you inject in your abdomen area. Like you just kind of pull a little bit of skin and you stick the needle in and actually it's twice a day. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It's once a day for the majority of your pregnancy. And then towards the end, you, they switch you to a different, so it's like a 24 hour blood thinner. And then towards the end of your pregnancy, it goes to a 12 hour. Um, cause they don't want anything to happen where you would bleed out if you went into labor. But, um, so I did that with Marley, my rainbow baby. I did these daily injections and then she was, she almost went full term. They're like, we want to go as long as we can and then get this baby out so that nothing happens. So she went 38 weeks and, um, unfortunately she did go to the NICU too. <laughs> so my first two, uh, living children went to the NICU right away, but with Marley, it was different. She had fluid in her lungs she didn't go through the birth canal. So, um, because she was a little early and because she was C-section, they said it's common. So it was totally different than Maisie. There wasn't all this like fear of like yeah. all the, all the what ifs it was like, she's got fluid in her lungs. She'll probably be here 10 to 12 days. And, um, and she was there 10 days, but, um, you know, it, it, it worked with Marley, I guess you could say. And so, then with Madison, my, my baby, she's 22 months now. Um, we did it again with her and they admitted wholeheartedly. They're like, we're learning so much about this MTHFR. Um, there's a lot, we don't know, you know, all these tests we've been doing, we didn't even know about 20 years ago and we're still learning a lot. And so if it worked with Marley, let's do it again with Madison. And so I did the blood thinner injections again with Madison and Madison was truly my first healthy size and full term pregnancy. So wow. it was, it was, um, and I, you know, I was able to give birth to her and then hold her. It was like the first time I was able to like hold my baby after, um, delivery. And, so. and and did you say Madison, she was a, a C-section or, or was a normal labor? 
She was a C-section as well. Okay. Um, they said that I could, I had the option of doing a C-back or no, I'm sorry, a V-back it's called. Um, and it's just a vaginal delivery after having a C-section and, um, they give you this sheet that you would have to sign. And it's like <laughs> crazy. It, it, it says like, it, you know, the risk factor is this percentage higher of death of the, your baby and yourself. And I'm like, I'm not signing off on this. No, I, and the doctor said, I don't think you should. I think you should have a C-section just because there's so many unknowns that could happen. Yeah. Um, you know, a C-section is harder on your body. And, you know, if you plan to have more children, it's harder to know how the, what the effects will be with all these incisions on your uterus. But, um, so Maisie, Marley and Madison were all C-section and Charlotte was the only vaginal birth. Wow. Wow. What advice would you give women going through this right now? Um, I would, I guess I would say, I mean, it sounds pretty obvious, but give yourself time and space to grieve. It's so important because if you are, I mean, there were times I had to put a smile on my face for Maisie you know, on Halloween when she came in in her bunny costume and, you know, I had to be kind of a happy mom. Um, but just give yourself time and like find that space you need to heal, like and grieve and cry it out, sob if you need to stay in bed, if you need to go for a walk, like with your spouse or a good friend and just talk through all of your heartache and disappointment and just you know, schedule a therapy session, schedule like a massage and a pedicure, like pamper yourself a little and have some self-care and just try to, I don't know, remind yourself of like, you're going to get through this, you know? And I, there was a moment for sure when I walked down to the beach trail with some of my friends, three of my really close friends. And, um, it was like the first time I sobbed and like, just let it all out. And I told them all the details and the amount of relief I had the next day was incredible. It was just like, I text them all like, thank you for that therapy session. Thanks for letting me cry. Like, thanks for holding my hand. You know, I just needed that so much. So, you know, grief is a funny thing. It It's different for everyone. And it, it kind of loops like it goes away and then comes back. And so it's just something you can um, give yourself a little space to allow time for. Um, I think that's the best advice I would give. Yeah. Oh, I, I just thought of something else. Another thing, if anyone going through a stillbirth where you have to, um, you know, go through the logistics of a funeral and all of that or whatever is designate a spot. Like, where you can go to pray and talk to your little angel and you know it's whether you go through a funeral or 
you know, a burial um, or a cremation, but to have use that as an opportunity to find a spot where you can go. Cause I'm so thankful now that I have this time on Halloween and her little, you know, gravestone and her spot it's underneath a tree and I just get to go there. And like, I feel like I'm with her, you know, and, um, I just think that's important. You want to be able to have a spot where you can go to, even if you cremate and you spread ashes somewhere, you know, be able to go to that spot. I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, Darcy. Yeah. Um, so uh, just coming from a family's perspective and a friend's perspective, um, there was times where I didn't know what to say. And I didn't know what the right words were. Um, and I'm just curious, you know, just while there is no perfect thing to say, what was mm -hmm. something that someone said to you that really made it, that, that helped? That's a great question. Um, kind of like you said, you don't really need to say much. Um, just being there or showing up. I guess is really important mm -hmm. uh, to see someone's face or have a hug, you know, it's, that's important, but also I found it helpful when people reminded me of like the strong, positive, healthy person they see me as. Yeah. So like when you feel really lost and alone and just, I don't know, so down, it's nice to be reminded of who you are. Um, so whether it was in a little card, um, I had one friend that brought me a succulent and she just said, you know, something along the lines of these plants are so resilient and so strong. And it just reminds me of you, especially at this time, because I can't imagine the strength you're having, having to use to get through this. And so just things along those lines were really helpful because I was like, I am strong. <laughs> like, I know I've been crying my eyes out for the last couple of weeks but I am strong that's right so it was just a nice reminder not only of who I felt I was but how people saw me you know um, just to be reminded of and you know it, it's 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 a delicate thing to try and say much but um I think just people saying, I see you and I see what you're going through and you are strong. You, you are, you're going to get through this. You know, it was just a nice reminder. That's right. Yeah. That's great insight. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And Christy, you did that just for me. I mean, with all the ones I've had, Christy didn't even know what to say, but she was just there for me. Yeah. No matter what I needed, she was just there. And and that was so helpful just to have some someone to be there for you. you totally. Know? Totally. I mean, that is the it it takes those hard moments in life to realize that that kind of thing means a lot, you know? Like mm -hmm. you kind of take it for granted when everyone's happy, you know, and you're like giving hugs and stuff. But when it's when things are hard and people show up, it just reminds you like, wow, I'm surrounded by love and support. So Can't just being blessings. Yeah. Being, 
just being there is is huge. And yeah. When we're when words don't suffice, right? It's just, yeah. yeah. Gosh, Darcy. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story yeah. and being so vulnerable. And um, I mean, even hearing Maisie's story, that I know there's going to be so many people that are just going to listen and connect to that. And then Charlotte's memory will be with us forever and ever and ever. Oh, thank you for this opportunity. I was a little apprehensive at first. And um, I think there's a lot of truth to what you said, like, just sharing your story can help others. And it actually is healing in itself, you know, just to talk about it. I mean, it's been five years, my my baby Charlotte is five years old, I can't believe it. But um, it's, I'm still healing from it, you know, and it just helps to talk about it to know that people want to hear my story is meaningful in itself yeah absolutely Christy is there anything else you would like to add um I struggled with postpartum Darcy and I had my babies that went full term and they they're all um living but it was a point in time where my husband he carried me out of the house just to go see sunlight Mm mm-hmm I can't imagine I'm getting emotional talking about it because I can't imagine the depression that you went through after um, having gone through what you went through. Is there any tips that you could give to other moms that may be struggling with the postpartum depression that helped you resources, um, daily affirmations, just any kind of insight? Yeah. You know, I, I hear you and I, I feel you because, um, I did suffer from postpartum with all of my pregnancies, but obviously with Charlotte, it was a little skewed. I couldn't tell if I was just, if it was just hormones affecting me and, or if it was just, you know, the loss, um, but to an- to answer your question, kind of like on a, a more general sense, um, I really think going outside is so important. And I told my husband, please just keep asking me. Yeah. Like, like keep offering and asking, like, just keep offering and asking like, and he did. I mean, offered to make dinner, asking me to, if I want to go to a movie, if I to get my mind off things. But you know, I I I am laughing because I know you girls probably feel the same way. But I have like a special relationship with the ocean, mm-hmm. and I've, I've actually read a lot about the sound of waves and the therapeutic um, nature of being near crashing waves. Um, so that's one thing. I mean, if you can get near a body of water, there's a lot of studies that have been done, but just get outside. Even if you don't feel like it, get outside, get some sunlight, go to the ocean, go to a lake or a river or anywhere where you're near water and just see if that helps you spend some alone time, spend some quality time with someone you care about. And, um, you know, if you have, if you're fortunate enough to have a spouse or someone with you, just tell them 
don't be afraid to tell them what you need or what you want. Cause I, I spent the first, I don't know, a week or so, like just bottling it all up and like, I got to get better. I got to get through this. I got to, And then I started telling my husband and my doctor, some of the thoughts I was having, you know, I wasn't like suicidal or anything crazy, but I was really, really like, I just didn't, I, I was having a hard time seeing the light, you know, at the end of the tunnel. And, um, I think that if you can just be honest with your husband or your doctor or your mom or your friend, like anyone that is clearly caring for you in that time, that's going to make a difference because you're giving them you know, how you asked about, like, you didn't know what to say with other people. People don't know what to do or say sometimes, and they feel so uncomfortable. They want to, they want to help. They want to be there for you, but they don't know what to do or say. And so if you can muster up the strength to articulate that, I think that's, you know, one of the first steps and then getting outside and being in nature or near a body of water is bound to be helpful too. Yeah. It's beautiful advice, Darcy. Yeah. Gosh, thank you so much. Such a happy story. Yeah. Well, thank you for this opportunity. Like I said, it's, it's been a while since this all happened, but, um, you know, talking about it again is one of those therapeutic things that helps, you know, and I have Charlotte's story now to tell. So and you don't know how many women are going to relate and how many women you are going to help by telling this story, Dars. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thank you. I, I hope so. I hope that, you know, there are these moments where you feel so alone, like, like, you know, people go through heavy losses in their lives, but when you're in that dark place, it feels like you're all alone. And so, um, I love what you're doing with this podcast. I love that you're giving women a quiet, safe place to hear stories and not feel so alone. I think that's so important and such a huge part of healing. Yeah. I mean, I heard from a girl, I was supposed to do a podcast today and she wrote me and she goes, you know, it was seven weeks ago and I'm not quite ready yet. And I just told her, take your time and let yeah. me know when you're ready. You Aww. know, yeah. You know, we all have our times when we're ready to share. Totally. I, I don't think I would have been ready after seven weeks. It's... Yeah. Oh, bless her. So thank you, Darcy, for being yeah. helpful. And yeah. I appreciate you and, um, Christy, thank you for your questions and for, you know, being a support and uh, co-hosting this with me. Um, This is going to be a very powerful episode and I can't wait to share it. Well, thank you, Summer, for doing this. Thanks for, you know, this is a a wonderful thing that you're doing. So thank you. A lot lot of people are going to appreciate it. Thank you. Your story is absolutely beautiful. Just like Summer said. Thanks. Yeah, your story will make a difference. Oh, thanks. Again, Charlotte's memory in this podcast is going to be heard over and over, and her legacy is going to live on. 
Oh, thank you. I love that. Thank you so much. Well, thanks again for this opportunity. All right, guys. Uh, Have a great night. You too. Thanks. Okay. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you to all our listeners for listening to Darcy's vulnerable story. I mean, how heavy was that? Um, I mean, just as a host itself, I'm holding back tears and I know Christy was too. Um, Darcy, thank you so much for your vulnerability. Um, I know it's going to help so many people out there that are going through what you went through or going through or have gone through it before. And one thing I want to say is one thing Darcy did mention is be your own advocate. You are the mother. You have the instinct. If you feel something is wrong, tell your doctor, demand to see a doctor, go to the ER. Um, it's your baby. And, um, I am so blessed and thankful that Darcy was able to have her two rainbow babies and that Maisie made it out of the NICU and what a beautiful story this was. So thank you for tuning in. And if you'd like to be a guest on surviving miscarriage podcast, email surviving miscarriage podcast at gmail.com.